Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 12. This week, I am going through something that I haven't done in quite a while. In fact, um, you have to go back to November of last year before I went through this. And it is Tech Week. For those who aren't sure or don't remember, Tech Week is that last week leading up to a show's opening night. And that show opens Thursday, and it is called Always the Patsy Cline Story. It'll be outside of Winston-Salem Theater Alliance. And uh, I am playing keyboard and leading a pit of six musicians. We have guitar, steel guitar, violin, uh, a.k.a. fiddle on this show, bass, drums, and then myself on keyboard. It's a socially distanced production, limited audience, face masks required, and of course, again, once again, it's outdoors. So it's a it's strange, but it is theater. It is live. We do have live music. Uh, so it's all great to have those elements again. And again, that opens uh, this Thursday, August 13th. Today's guest is Dina Riscala. Dina plays violin, and she is originally from the Washington, D.C. area. However, she went to school in my area, in Greensboro, and we'll talk about that. And I got to work with her for one show, and after, well, soon after she graduated, she relocated. She now lives in Nashville, but she's also played for national tours of a couple of shows that we're going to discuss. And she's also been on tour herself as a musician, uh, not as a pit musician, but for something very theatrical where she also got to be in the spotlight. We're going to talk about all of that and more. So without any further delay, here's my interview with Dina Riscala. And today my guest is Dina Riscala, which, uh, uh, Dina, it's great to have you today. And um, I realized that I asked you to be on this podcast um, on July 2nd. And, uh, and I realized in just kind of looking at Facebook later that that was at best, the second best news you had that day. So <laughs> you had, you got engaged that day, right? I did get engaged. It was a complete surprise. I didn't even know my now fiance was in town. I thought I was supposed to pick him up from the airport, like at 11 PM that night. And then all of a sudden he's bursting into a room where I was just having tea with my sister and my friend. And he, he, <laughs> the question <laughs> right <laughs> it was so fun so that's okay we're, we're we're happy to be you know second place that day so. Oh, no. <laughs> i'm so happy to be here thank oh, you thank you so, um so is uh, washington dc that's where you're from right that's where i'm from i'm from a town on the virginia side in the suburbs uh called falls church and i grew up here i went to mclean high school okay. and then um yeah, I live in Nashville now. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know Falls Church uh, mm. from being there, but it's one of those names that I recognize from the few times I've been on the metro there. <laughs> it's um, like it's yes, one of the absolutely. lines that goes there. So, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so we we met briefly. We played for one show back in 2015. It was a version uh, production of Oklahoma. You played mm -hmm. violin on that. Mm -hmm. um, you played 
Let's see, did we have two violins for that show? I think we might have. Yeah, we I had. Think, I think Jennifer was there too, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We did. Well, I, I knew she was there. I just couldn't remember if she was on viola, but I think Eric was on viola. Yeah, for that. So, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Um, so that was um, maybe a year after you graduated from college at UNCG. So, um, mm-hmm. so let's, uh, and then you've, you've gone on from there. So I kind of started in the, mi- in the middle. Let's back up oh, yeah. a little bit. Uh, when did you get into violin and was that your first instrument? That, that, well, piano was my first instrument, which I played when I was like five, but I, I was a horrible practicer. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was nine until I picked up the violin and I got started, um, in my elementary school music program. So yay music in schools. Um, (laughs) and then, (laughs) um, and then when I got to high school, my very first, um, I, I don't know. I would say that when I w- was in high school, all those performing opportunities really made it clear to me that I just had to keep doing this professionally. And I mean, I love playing music, but it's also like the relationships that you make with people, the traveling you get to do. It's just such a fulfilling career. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then what brought you to UNCG? From- so, yeah, so I started... I, I transferred to UNCG my junior year of college. I started out in uh, Southern Virginia at a small liberal arts college. And I got like a lot of performing opportunities, which were great because I was one of maybe two or three violins in the whole program. But after about two years, I was like, well, I think I, I need something else. And, and my teacher was leaving that college anyway, and I couldn't really follow her. So, um, so I came to UNCG. And it was probably the best decision I've ever made because I have, there's wonderful professors there. Again, I was a music education major, um, but I got, again, a lot of performing opportunities and, um, and yeah, so that's how I got to Greensboro. Right. Uh, it was, it was North Carolina School of the Arts that brought me to this area from Florida mm. and, that, uh, you know, of course I, I knew of its reputation, but it was right for me. I was there for film composing and, and oh, you wow. know, it was the only place around here that had that. Um, but since I've been music directing and hiring music, I, I've come to realize that UNCG's reputation is very underrated in this mm-hmm. area. It's like, um, I mean, um, not all of the musicians, but I would say a very high percentage of the musicians that I've gotten from there, you know, very well trained and, and, and very important for me. They're, they're always on time, you know, they, they, they have a professional ethic. So, um, so I, I have no doubt that you had a great education at UNCG. Um, so now what about theater? So I know that what Oklahoma wasn't your first show and you've done a lot of theater since then. When did you get into theater? Um, kind I, that's a tough question because my very first show ever was Susicle the musical. And I was a junior in high school Mm -hmm. and, oh gosh, that was, I've come a long way since then. That was my again, my very first show, no one had ever told me like how to play in a pit orchestra, how it's different, how like the people on stage are kind of running the show and you have to just always be alert. Also, um, the music director, she was asking us to transpose on the spot, like entire songs because the, the one of the girls on stage like couldn't hit some notes, mm. which never happens in the professional world, especially for like non-transposing instruments. Right, right. <laughs> and um even as terrifying as that experience was, um, I was still hooked after that for musical theater. It was something about it was so magical. And I decided that not only was I going to go into music, but I needed to make playing input orchestras a part of my career. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and what, and, and what is it, the, the appeal about it? So, I mean, how, how does it differ from say, you know, just playing, I assume that you, you've played in like concert orchestras, at least in school, mm -hmm. if not professionally. So mm -hmm. how does it differ playing in a pit? It, mm, there are a lot of similarities. Um, but in the pit, you have to, where you have to know everyone else's part too, but in the pit, you are paying attention to the conductor and you are also paying attention to the people singing on stage where, um, yes, the conductor will, will have everything under control, but you also have to like tune in and know that too. And you have to just open your ears. Um, I know where your part fits a lot of the times in symphony orchestras, the violins are the stars of the show and they get all of the melodies and, and just play out. Mm -hmm. um, but in the pit orchestra, there's probably only one of you, maybe two. And yes, you'll have melodies, but you are also um, the supporting role a lot of the time. And you have like a lot of eighth notes and quarter notes, like an Into the Woods. I think I can like 42 F natural quarter notes on the page. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so... So just the, the, the parts themselves will differ um, and your roles in the orchestra. Um, it also seems to me, uh, and maybe this isn't the case when you get to like really large shows on Broadway, but uh, an orchestra pit is a lot closer to it being a chamber ensemble type thing than a symphonic orchestra. You don't yes. have, um, you don't have, you know, 12 and 16 violins playing at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. if you're, if you're lucky, you might be doubling apart, <laughs> but more mm -hmm. often than not, you're kind of a soloist, you know, the entire yes. time. So, um, mm -hmm. does that, does that kind of affect your performance? Like, in, uh, well, I mean, you know, you don't have to tune to your, to the other instruments. So I guess that's mm -hmm. a, that's a plus, but in every other way, I guess it adds a little bit of, uh, performance pressure just to, to play your part and be heard. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Absolutely. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it also, you kind of hope that you, uh, you have, well, I guess two things, you either got to have a pit with a good tech crew, because, uh, if you, if you fill it with brass and percussion and keyboards and guitars and bass and drums, you won't hear the one violinist playing along. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you get, unless you have a microphone on them mm -hmm. or you have to, uh, do what my wife has done for some shows and get a, get an acoustic amp and a pickup. So have you, have, have you done that before? <laughs> I've done, yeah, I've, I've done both. I've never had to bring my own equipment, but the sound guys, um, depending on like how much money the theater has, um, oftentimes I will be the only violinist and I'll have um, one or two microphones, like an area mic and a mic pointed directly at my instrument right. <laughs> playing <laughs> to be heard. Um, and then sometimes... I've played one show where there were the area mics, the mics pointed on our instruments and a DPA mic attached to my instrument. And we all had to play in. And, and like during soundcheck, it's actually like kind of more nerve wracking than the show because you are playing by yourself to get that sound. Yes. <laughs> no one else. And and also just backtracking on a couple of things. So, mm -hmm. so first of all, um, a lot of times what happens in theater, this is just for the listeners, but uh, mm -hmm. you'll have, you know, one or two at, probably at most for most shows, string players. Like I, I, I don't know that you ever have more than one cello, but, or want more than one viola, but you might have up to four violins, like two firsts, two seconds or something like that. But usually it's one of each or just one violin, but the other string parts are usually, there's a keyboard designated for it. And in fact, 
uh, like Little Mermaid, for example, it has three keyboard books and then a designated string keyboard book. <laughs> and when I played in a high school production one time where we had no strings uh, for that, is they didn't hire any string players for that, I just ditched all the other keyboard books uh, and played that, except for the few that were tacit, you know, and then got one of like keyboard two or something for that. So, yes. uh, and then the other thing was just about transposition. Yeah. Uh, very often I'll have cast members, you know, that, that were cast for their acting and for the way they look for the role and maybe not that they could sing all of the notes and they'll ask, David, can we transpose this? And, and it, when they ask me, I always say, no, I'll give you an alternate note. <laughs> um, but I get overruled sometimes. Like they'll ask a, a director, you know, and, and they, they're maybe, I guess, a little bit nicer than I am <laughs> or more sympathetic. And they'll come to me and say, David, we need to transpose this. Um, so the, what the process there is that MTI and Samuel French furnishes transposed parts. But the thing is, mm -hmm. Uh, and this is what directors realize. That's an expensive thing. You, mm -hmm. you pay per song and it, and it's all the parts. So like you, you can, if you have live instruments, you've got to get that whole set of parts that's been transposed. And those get kind of annoying because a lot of times what the people do who do that is they just change the key signature and they don't edit at all. And if you're playing an, uh, an instrument with harmony, it's like, you've got all these B double flats when it, actually makes sense for it to be an A natural <laughs> because it was B flat when it was higher and they just lowered everything a half step. You know? mm -hmm. um, but uh, there have been some times where, um, you know, uh, as a music director, I've had to transpose it myself. But yeah, you shouldn't be in a situation where you're asked as a violinist to do it on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> French horn player, yes, they do that all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, how, what have you done uh, as far as theater since then? You've actually, you've played for some tours or what are some of the shows that you've done since, uh, since you left the area? Since I left the area? Um, I've played for a couple of national tours, which were really awesome. Phantom of the Opera and Hello Dolly. Mm -hmm. um, Nashville has a big, uh, strong local theater scene which I'm really grateful for and I'm also very fortunate because like you said some shows actually just don't have strings or they'll use keys or tracks for their string parts so um so there I've gotten to play Bright Star which I got to fiddle for which is really fun yeah. um You're a Good Man Charlie Brown that was a regional theater which was doubling I was doubling on violin and viola mm -hmm. um I played Into the Woods a good bit and Cinderella the Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella everyone loves that show yeah <laughs> Um, yeah. 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 Enter the woods. That's a, uh, that's a demanding violin part. That's pretty high, right? <laughs> yeah. The first violin will have, they, they've got a couple viol high, really high parts. The second violin and viola part are much more um, kind of laid back supportive roles. <laughs> so now in playing for Phantom of the Opera and Hello Dolly, um, did you actually go on tour or was it playing for the tours as they came to the area? I was playing for the tours as they came to the area and it's a really cool experience. They, I mean, it's so much fun. They don't mess around though, because like they're doing this day in and day out. And when you go, mm -hmm. you are just expected to fit in and just do everything the way everyone else does in every other city or the way they do on Broadway. They'll send you the book maybe like a month or two in advance, along with a CD of the music director conducting a live show. So you have to practice mm -hmm. and 
there are notes written in the books, you should you should de definitely mark your music and and um, make light pencil marks if you need. But at the first rehearsal, you give back your practice books and they give you new parts to perform with. Wow. <laughs> and so, yeah, so everything you just have to like know and and like the week up to the first rehearsal, I'll be playing through the show like every night. And then when you get to the first rehearsal, you might have maybe two rehearsals. Usually it's only one with just the orchestra and then and then it's opening night. And during soundcheck, you might run like one song with the cast. But opening night is really the first time where you get to play with the cast. And it's and for that reason, too, it's just so magical because not only is that are you performing, but you are just experiencing this music and playing it. And I, I don't know, I'm it never gets old for me. <laughs> right. Um, so just this will give the listeners an idea of how far ahead we are on interviewing. But uh, so I'm interviewing you, and I don't know what episode this will be, but it's on mm -hmm. the same day that um, I released episode five, my my interview with Daniel Buchan. And we, mm -hmm. we we referenced kind of the contrast of pit size for Broadway versus tour, and I didn't know the number. I didn't know what size the touring pit for Phantom of the Opera was, but I know it was drastically reduced from what they have in Broadway. What was the mm -hmm. size of the pit, the... Uh, how many musicians uh, do you, do you think were in Phantom of the Opera for for your production? There were five string players. They toured with their concert master, so there were three violins, a viola, and a cello, a bass. Okay, so six, and then um, two two or three keyboards because the, all those awesome percussion like mm -hmm. timpani, all that stuff you hear on the recordings, it's absolutely there, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's not real percussion. It's all, it's all tracks from the, from the keyboard, um, full winds. Right. Um, yeah. Full winds and brass, not full, not full, but, okay. um, maybe right. like eight people in the winds and brass section. Okay. That's still yeah. a little bigger than I thought. I, I'm not, I'll have to go back and look, but I think the Broadway is something around 30. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I would believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I know that, um, like that particular show, they you they can't use the original set. <laughs> it's like the set is only built for the theater that it's in, and you know where it has been. So, mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's still you know still impressive, you know, <laughs> to, to play in a pit like that. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's the largest touring show in in America. I mean, I think, I think a few months ago they stopped touring like before COVID. Right. Um, I think they stopped touring, but yeah, they travel with their own stage too. And yeah, there's just so that stage is huge. Right. So much. Right. And, and hello Dolly, what kind of a pit was that? That was, Oh, that was also so much fun. That was again, six string players, three violins, no viola, uh, cello and bass, um, again, somewhere between six and seven wind players, keys, um, and I think put on your Sunday clothes from that production is one of the most, one of the best experiences I've ever had just playing music in my life. It's right. just the way everything culminates. And um, Betty Buckley was in the tour when we came to Nashville and she would always like during the title number, she would always come and like wink at the pit members and she got us cookies, I guess is a way to say thanks. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, and 
it was it was, so it was about the same same size as um as phantom i would say <laughs> okay right yeah um that's uh, hello dolly comes from kind of a, a sort of a golden age of musical i think people di- argue about where the golden age starts and and well they don't really like it starts with oklahoma it's like oklahoma was the first uh thing that didn't resemble resemble vaudeville in any way i mean you have you can talk about showboat but but you know as far as a modern musical with choreography and dance numbers and uh an integrated book you know i think oklahoma's where it starts as 1945 but like where does where does it end i'm not too sure but uh, i know as a pianist almost anything i get from the fifth well may, sometimes the 50s but definitely the 60s and early 70s I just expect it to be hard. <laughs> it's like whenever I have to sight read those books, it's just harder. It's like when I get something from the nineties or later, it's kind of a sigh of relief because, um, you know, it, it, except for a few composers like Jason Robert Brown, I, I know that it's going to be playable. By the way, have you ever played Jason Robert Brown show? Before? I haven't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> His name comes up a lot. Uh, he, he writes, yeah, very, very difficult music for everybody, but, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, but it's very unique and it's very fun. You know, it's fun once you get over the panic of having to play it. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's just something about that music. And I was just wondering, is, is that the same experience for the violin? Is it, is it just difficult for the piano or do you find the, the, the violin parts are challenging for those like Hello Dolly era musicals? They are challenging. They're, um, Hello Dolly in particular, I think, is known as something that's not too, too demanding for the violins. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of violin solos, which um, which I honestly am glad I didn't have to play. <laughs> but, um, um, Phantom of the Opera was way more challenging than Hello Dolly mm. um, because that was like learning a, a Brahms symphony or, or something that's super demanding because all like almost everything is fast and you're playing in keys with usually all of the songs had like six flats in them or right. five sharps or more than that or something like that. Um, and, and like, I mean, and everybody knows the music to Phantom. There's a lot of times there's differences when you hear something on stage versus like the movie version, but there's really not much difference between all of the amazing orchestrations you hear in the, in the movie and, and what you hear on stage. It's, it's pretty demanding. Yeah. And I don't yeah. have it in front of me, but I, I wonder, I wonder if, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber used the same orchestrator that he did, um, for his Requiem. It's like, he has a, a rec. Oh, so is it, is it rec- not his Requiem? That, there is a Requiem and, and that may be the thing, but, but he also did a theme and variations, uh, on Paganini. Oh, uh, cool. and it was, and he did it cause he lost a bet against his brother who plays cello and so wanted to do he he had to write a set of variations for cello and rock band (laughs) and you know that's very interesting to hear it that way but uh he got it orchestrated and i want to say without looking i feel like the name was david cullen but it and Mm -hmm. it, it might be and I might be getting the initials right and the name wrong. So I apologize to him or whoever it was, but, uh, but I've heard both versions and the orchestration is just transformative, you know, mm-hmm. as, as, and I wonder if maybe he had a hand in the phantom orchestration, so, or if it was someone else. I wonder that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so let's let's get out of the pit for a moment and on on the stage. So you've had some experiences. I think one of the first times when, whenever I connected you on social media, you were in a group called Barrage Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's tell us about Barrage Eight. What was that like? That was a touring show where uh, it was about a two hour long show, completely memorized, where we sang and danced and played our instruments on stage and played all different types of music. And that was way more about just performing. I felt like an actor because, I mean, yes, yes, you learn your part and you play it, but um, you also have to look like you are having the time of your life every single night. Everything is so exaggerated. It was really my first experience with acting. Mm-hmm. And the audience would never know if anybody missed a note, but they right. would know if you weren't smiling at one point or something, because then your face gives it away if you if you make a mistake. It's kind of just like if you're giving a recital or a concert, um, if you make a mistake, a lot of people won't notice it, but you just have to kind of remain like a poker face. Right. But on stage, you have to remain like smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> right. Now you, you had costumes, right? Did you have costume changes or anything like that? Or Luckily, no costume changes. We just, um, we had these really sparkly shoes, which were, which were fun. But then other than yeah. that, um, we're all black. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's, and then, um, yeah, uh, I just, I kind of just checked on YouTube and I just, I just typed in Barrage 8 and, and, and I was kind of pleased. I'm a big Radiohead fan. And the first thing that popped up was a Radiohead cover. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I don't remember which song it was, but it was, I think it was from OK Computer. It was one of those songs, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and um, so how many, um, what was the instrumentation of your group? That was, so five violins one of them was like a utility guy so he would go on electric guitar and electric mandolin right (laughs) at some point um we had a viola um cello Mm -hmm. bass um and drums wow okay and that was a tour right that was something you you went from city to city uh with them so tell us about (laughs) Uh, I'm just always fascinated at what, you know, what, what different, how different people perceive just being on the road. <laughs> yeah, we are always with each other. We uh, drove our own, our bosses drove the truck with all the set stuff in another, in another, another car. And we would just caravan from city to city. We would drive our own 15 passenger van. Eventually towards the end of the tour, they splurged for us and got us one with like a TV in it, which was <laughs> nice. Nice. But, yeah, but we would, um, I remember one time it took us three days to get from Pennsylvania to Oklahoma. And I mean, just when the show is, you just have to be ready to go um, from from city to city. Um, as soon as you, oftentimes we would be driving for like 10 hours and then immediately have to go and load at a, at a school or a venue because a, a lot of what we did too was workshops with high schools and we would kind of teach them to play our music and perform in the way that we would do, that we do and then um, just kind of do collaborative stuff with them. So there was a big educational portion of it too. Okay, um, but you, you know, between the eight of us or nine of us, we were um, always together. We, right. we had room together, just everything. You got really close. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, really close or really diplomatic. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
uh, is probably about the only way to, sur- to survive those th- or, you know, to keep the relationships intact and all that. Um, so how long from the time you leave your home to start the tour till you return home, would you say, uh, for, for just a particular concert tour? Um, oh, for, we were on the road for uh, about three months at a time. At the beginning, it was more because around August, like late summer, we went up for a month to, to learn the show. That was, that was pretty fun because, uh, there was no internet up where we learned the show. We were up in Canada training. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not like there was no internet because we had to just work really hard to learn the show. I mean, that definitely helped, but the town where we were was just so small that they didn't bother servicing it with any sort of signal like that. So, that was a month, and then we spent about three more months on tour. Um, and then we're home for Thanksgiving, back on the road, home for Christmas, back on the road in January, um, home for Easter, back on the road, <laughs> right. and then and then we ended around beginning of May. Right. Now, uh, there are a lot of different personality types in the music pit, and I don't think I'd be exaggerating if I said that I know a few musicians that would be horrified <laughs> if you asked them to go on the stage with a spotlight and actually be the featured thing that people were doing. Um, but how was that for you? <laughs> at the beginning, it was like, I was kind of in shock, I think, at the beginning. Like, the, I remember the very first show. Uh, I'm like, are they really here to, to see me? Am I really like doing this and 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 then you realize it's not it's not really like about you it's about just the whole experience you're giving the audience eventually um yeah we all really got into it and you get to know the show so well that we'll do things to kind of make each other laugh and and try and try and like mess each other up in the middle of the show and like mm-hmm. we'll turn around and make funny faces um we had these like Britney Spears mics because <laughs> they right. were so big <laughs> and so we would um in the cast before me, I heard a story about one of the violinists would like say, um, just list off uh, menu items of Taco Bell just to kind of like make other people laugh during during one of the songs where they're actually supposed to be singing. Um, and so the sound guy would like have to like mute his mic really, really fast. Um, yeah. So so after a while, like it, we just go out there and have have fun and do whatever we can to have fun because if we're having fun with each other, then the audience will also have fun. And yeah. Now, so I didn't, I didn't see like an official announcement that Barrage 8 wasn't touring anymore, but Mm -hmm. I I don't think I've seen anything for a couple of years. So I guess uh, it's not active at the moment or did you officially retire it or? (laughs) Yeah, they're, yeah, we're, they're not active at the moment. Um, I think, I mean, and there's a lot, there's a, there's a big story behind that and it has more to do with just kind of the bosses and how, Mm -hmm. um, like it's stuff to stay, I guess, relevant because, because Barrage has been around since the nineties and, and they've done a lot to, um, to kind of keep up with the times. But I think, um, yeah, at a certain point they, I think, I think they're just kind of reassessing now how to best bring this back to reach audiences and make it like. A, a big thing as it once was like in the nineties and early two thousands. Yeah. Well that, uh, I think everybody who's, you know, uh, especially a performing group is wise to do that. And it's the groups that do that, that stay relevant decade after decade. 
Uh, so other than theater and other than, uh, you know, getting married at some point, uh, what <laughs> else do you have going on right now? So I'm a part of this folk group called Winterbirds, and we all met at UNC Greensboro. And then we got to playing together as Winterbirds after we all graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved to Nashville, I kind of decided, like, yes, it's great being hired for gigs, but I also want to make music of my own and, and have ownership with something like that. So I commissioned music for one of my friends who uh, was a composer at UNCG. And later that summer, he came down and we recorded it. I mean, not recorded it, we performed it. And then later that summer, we recorded it. And we came up with an album. And then after we had this album called Shaker Songs, mm-hmm. um, we decided, hey, let's be a band. And what the music is, is he takes the poetry of the American Shakers and sets it to new music. Mm-hmm. And so we have some relationships with the Shaker villages in Kentucky. There's like, there's only a handful of them around the U.S. I think there's maybe one or two Shakers still living and the villages are now museums, but we'll go up and do um, workshops, residencies. And in February, we did a mini tour of kind of the East coast um, and we were supposed to get together and record this summer, but yeah. COVID had other plans for us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just mm-hmm. listening to a radio show yesterday. Well, it's a, yes, a, as a podcast, but he's actually a live radio show. It says he thinks that the phrase, and then the pandemic happened, should just be put on a t-shirt. It's like, I was going to get married, and then the pandemic happened. I was going to be playing a show, <laughs> and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, great. Uh, are you are you teaching at all or, or just performing? I'm teaching uh, privately a little bit. Um, currently taking a break for this summer, but when when the school year starts up again, um, I'll, I'll resume lessons. Okay. Um, so I feel like I haven't asked this uh, to to some of my guests recently, but uh, you know, since you're the first violinist that I've interviewed, what advice would you give violin students um, before they start trying to play in a pit? Definitely learn the show, learn where you are going to be sticking out because like you said, it is more like chamber music. Mm-hmm. So if you suddenly have a melody, don't be surprised, just play it out, yeah. play it confidently and play it almost. I mean, definitely bring your own flavor to the show, but if you can also play it like the recording, um, if, if that part happens to make it onto the recording, um, that also kind of lets the music director know, oh yeah, this person knows what they're doing or, or, and, and even after that, maybe you can like change it up every, every certain night, but definitely just know the show, be on it for your cues. Um, cause not only will you stand out, play the, playing the melody, but the violins get a lot of, um, ethereal effects in the score right. a lot of the times where it's so exposed and you might just be tremoloing, but that note is going to be like way up in the mm-hmm. stratosphere and so just yeah no list do a lot of listening to the show before before you go into that first rehearsal great uh all right so you don't have to name a show or theater unless you want to but what is a what is one horror story from a from your theater experience that you'd like to uh, share oh yeah i've got one um <laughs> i was i was playing a show in nashville it was a really really cool um local theater they're very very established wonderful but the way the, the venue we perform in mm-hmm. isn't set up to be like 
they're, they're not set up to have a pit basically. So the, the pit is behind the stage um, and we use monitors to see what's going on on stage. There's monitors on the stage to see the conductor. Um, and there was one time, so sometimes that goes out, but usually we we just go off of what we know and, 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 and the show goes on, no one ever knows anything. But one time um, the music director turned the page at like the climactic moment of the whole musical <laughs> and and was supposed to give us this huge cue but but she turned two pages and so everything was just silent while like this person <laughs> was stabbing the character on stage oh no and it was like she oh my god it was it was like i think afterwards no one really noticed like because no one played or anything it kind of sounded like it was supposed to be this dramatic awkward moment but mm -hmm. in the moment we were all like <laughs> freaking out yeah. and we eventually got there again but but that was that was a pretty scary moment right <laughs> well you know it could be from the audience perspective all those gasps coming from the pit is just you know, adding to what's going on on stage, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so I won't limit you to just playing in the pit. What is one of your fondest memories as a performer? I, oh gosh, honestly, playing, playing in the pit is where my heart is. And, and playing for some of those touring shows where, where you get to be a part of something that's so, so big. And um, you, you, just work really hard and the music is is you you feel like you're in the recording and it's at any time where where I can feel like I'm in that in that cast soundtrack playing the music is right is one of my fondest experiences like I think I, I think I said it earlier but um put on your Sunday clothes from Hello Dolly is one of those moments right where everything on stage is like all the colors on the stage with the costumes the the violin parts and just like taking a moment and looking up and just s seeing the, the looks on everyone's faces is now, now you're pretty lucky if you could look up and see the stage <laughs> oh absolutely yeah. there was when i did you're a good man charlie brown i was i had my back to the stage and but i could see the reflection of it in the drum cage so i would like stare at the drum cage and after a while i'm like oh my god i think the drummer thinks i'm just staring at him for for moments <laughs> for long moments <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, I did a chorus line one time, and it was basically I was under the stage. I I saw nothing, and I knew about, I knew at least a dozen of the cast members, and I told them afterwards I couldn't see a thing, but you sounded great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, what would you say is the most is is it Phantom or something else? What's the most difficult book you've played for theater? I would say Phantom. Right. Just because of the key signatures, because of like the fast notes. Um, yeah, it's a very, very demanding book. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to look up the orchestrator. I'll include that in, in either the introduction or the, uh, the, uh, conclusion of the podcast. So, um, yeah. is there a bucket list musical that you haven't played? Next to normal. Oh That's yeah. A bucket list music musical uh, for me, just because I love the show. The pit gets to be on stage. That's some of my favorite work when the pit gets to be on stage. Um, but I, I, love that music so much it's one of my favorite shows and it's also one of the few shows i've done for, in a community theater setting where you got the full book you know because <laughs> it's not that it's not that huge uh right. well i should say that i got the full book for something that's more than two or three pieces sometimes it's just a jazz trio and that's pretty easy <laughs> or something like that but 
Um, that uh, we had a great cast. We, we had great musicians, and it's and it's really fun to play. It's like when I when I first heard it, I thought, "Wow, I might have to practice this for a while." But mm-hmm. Tom Kitt wrote it in such a way that um, it. I mean, there's some challenging rhythms. Like there's a there's one song that has some really odd time signature shifts, and um, and you actually have to have a a cast that's pretty rhythmically sound to even stay with it and not end up kind of changing it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, where can people follow either you or any of your projects? Um, I have an Instagram at D a with one L at the end. Um, and then I also have a website, D a Um, and I don't really have anything coming up on those social media pages because again, COVID. Right. <laughs> Sad. right. Um, but once things start coming up again, that's usually where I'll post them. Yeah, anything for uh, the winter birds? Um... We, again, we're, we're trying to decide how best to still make art and in, in this climate, um, for a while, we were all living all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, our composer and guitar player just moved back, to, just moved back to Greensboro, so we're all closer now. So he's in Greensboro. Our bass player and one of our vocalists is in Atlanta. I'm in Nashville. Um, oh, and our accordion player is in Greensboro too. Oh, nice. So, <laughs> so we're all much closer together. We're working on projects that involve more, like like multi media so music um graphic art um narrative just a lot of a a project that is kind of combining all of that that speaks to our current like political climate it's so we're we're in the planning stages for that (laughs) well that sounds exciting so uh you know just uh, just share with me any point if you've got more information on that and i'll i'll share it to the social media on uh well the instagram page or the twitter page for the podcast thank you all right well uh thank you for taking time to just share your stories thank you so much for having me it was a blast and that is a wrap for episode number 12 and uh just wanted to let you know that this is going to be my last tuesday episode for a while The original intent of this podcast was to just release once a week on Fridays, but I got so far ahead of my interviews that I'd recorded that I wanted to go ahead and get out two a week, and I feel like I've done a pretty good job. I still have several interviews ready to go, but the truth is with a show in Tech Week and also with some other projects that I've taken on, it's just a lot of work by myself to continue to put out two episodes a week. So one episode a week is very manageable and I've got plenty of interviews and it's still going to be a lot of fun. So you only have to wait three days for the next episode, but then it will be once a week after that. On Friday for episode 13, I'm going to be talking with someone who lives about as far away from me as someone can. He lives in Melbourne, Australia, which is a time zone difference of 14 hours away. And he is going to talk about what it's like to be a musician on a cruise ship playing for the backup band. And he's also done some music music other than playing for the backup band. But he's going to talk about a career that has taken him to 
Seven Different Continents. It's a fun interview, and I can't wait to share it with you this Friday, August the 14th. And finally, since it's been a while, let me please remind you that going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star rating and a review is probably the biggest thing that you can do to help us be seen by somebody who would be looking for a podcast like this. Apple will show it to them, but we're going to have to get a lot more ratings and reviews before we're really visible in this podcast world of 500,000 plus podcasts. So just one or two minutes of your time really would go a long way, and I would be so grateful uh, if you would take that time. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. And you can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, I want to give a special thanks to Mark Parola for his cover art and to Bill Cisna and his voice for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. For the time being, you can find out more about this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast or at our Podbean page, lifeinthepit.podbean.com. Again, please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening.